Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, I've got a very interesting guest. Uh, to, and here is Matthew Benjamin. He's the uh, British founder of Capes. They are a homegrown sustainable school uniform brand. So Matthew, using his experiences from working with menswear tailor Benjamin Siggers and custom clothing company Tom James, uh, sorry, Benjamin, uh, decided to take his learnings into developing sustainable school uniforms. Interesting business idea. Uh, Benjamin and his co-founders, Seb Francis and Mike Bennett, uh, they were able to raise investment needed to launch CAPES uh, during an uncertain COVID-19 pandemic uh, and ready for the back-to-school period of September 2020 uh, by offering schools, parents uh, and children ethically made school uniforms free from harm, harmful chemicals. So today on the show, we'll talk about the CAPES story and we'll also talk about how to build a modern retail company uh, and all things sustainable fashion. All right. Good afternoon. Hi, Benjamin. Thanks for joining. You, you got it right the first time. So it's Matthew. Benjamin. Matthew. <laughs> I do. I do get called Benjamin quite quite a lot. Oh, that's, um, so sorry. That's all right. I mean, I've, I've had clients for the past seven, eight years that some still will refer to me as Benjamin. Okay. Two um, first names. Exactly. Two first names. Many people have a first name as a second name, but they're just two very first names. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it works well when we uh, when we started Benjamin Siggers because. Yeah. Um, my co-founder James, his surname is Siggers. Okay. Uh, mine's Benjamin, but it sounds like you know. Yeah, the, Benjamin yeah. Siggers sounds like a person. Oh, so you were the co-founder of Benjamin Siggers as well. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So it's just it's the first time on this podcast that we've had someone really from the you know the tailoring the menswear sector. So uh, can you talk about your experience in your career and, sure. and yeah? Um, so it started in 2010 um, in London. Prior to that, I'd done an MBA in luxury management. Um, so I was over in Monaco for a year um, and touched on all aspects of luxury. When I came back to London, at the time, I wanted to work in the yacht industry. Um, so I wanted to actually go into selling super yachts, so yachts over 25 meters. Um, and I started working for a yacht marketing company. It was, an, it was a startup. Um, and then sort of like a year into it, kind of figured it, it you know it, it wasn't the way that I wanted to go it was just after the financial crisis the, the industry was really impacted um, so I started looking at other opportunities um, and, and kind of fell into the, to the role um, at Tom James which is the world's largest custom tailoring company hmm. uh, but not a lot of people know about Tom James because it is direct to consumer there's no marketing um, but it's yeah, a vertically integrated yeah, powerhouse in the, in the tailoring industry. So just on that one, uh, when you say custom tailoring, is are, are we talking about Savile Row sort of bespoke fittings? Yeah. So yeah. So um. So yeah, bespoke suits, um, mainly for men. Uh. So with Tom James, the clothes are made in in America, but in terms of the the premise of it, it's yeah, very similar. Um, depending on the levels of construction to a, a Savile Row made garment. Okay, so um, that was in line with your kind of luxury high-end background and it, it, it was interesting. Exactly. So, yeah, so that luxury high-end background, um, prior to that, all of the, the roles I'd done were, were customer-facing. I enjoyed that. 
you know that that's that selling side of things and you know working with clients on a, on a face-to-face basis uh, so it sort of combined those, those two things um yeah that, that, that's how it that's how it started 2010 in london okay um my Brilliant. area at the time was mayfair so we all had different areas to focus on uh, mine was mayfair st james so but they did have a, a storefront no so it was so, all it was all um we visited all of our clients. clients okay so we worked from an office um in bank and uh and yeah we would go out and visit all of our clients so Essentially, my day would be split up as you know, going to bank in the in the morning, um, and then I would head off to Mayfair or spend half a day in Mayfair mm. visiting clients, um, unless I was referred outside of Mayfair. But generally, I'd be there, and then I'd go back to the office in bank in the afternoon, and you know, start making phone calls and booking appointments and mm. setting up the the diary for the rest of the the week or, or yeah. month. Interesting industry. So basically. You, your clients are male or female, mainly male. Mainly right. yeah. So they're in offices, are in their homes in Mayfair, uh, and you come as a sale, or do you actually do the fitting and everything's the do, tailoring? Yeah, do the fitting as well. So we would do everything apart from actually make the garment. So mm. um, it's generally guys that are working in, i.e., Mayfair or, or in the city. You know, guys that um, are cash rich but time poor. Mm. You know, they, they need to look good for work. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a fashion statement, but it's important for them to, you know, project the right image. Um, and they just don't have the time to actually, you know, to, to, okay. to go to the shop. So, um, yeah. Average, guess, average price of a suit. And so, um, at, at Tom James, I mean, it's similar to Benjamin Siggers. I mean, our average sale is $2,800. So in, in dirhams, like 10,000 dirhams, something like that. Yeah. Um, so not high, high end. So um, yeah, expensive enough. I mean, yeah. it's still a, it's a niche product. Yeah, you know, um, with, with most guys, a suit is going to be the most expensive thing in their wardrobe. Yeah, um, and yeah, spending twelve hundred pounds on a on a suit or you know, Benjamin Seagulls, our suits start at five thousand dirhams and go up from there. Yeah, but spending five ten thousand dirhams it isn't you know it isn't a small amount of uh, or insignificant amount of money. So you came here, yeah, uh, exactly. So you came here in 2012, you mentioned before we started chatting, uh, and you, you set up Benjamin Sigurds. I'm going to keep getting the names mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you, uh, yeah, so you did that, the same concept as what you were doing in London. So, yes, yeah, so, so well, Benjamin Sigurds was a little bit later. So started in London at Tom James, but at the time they didn't have an office in the Middle East. So um, I'd, I'd approach them with the idea of setting up an office in Dubai. Um, so put together a business plan, um, and then they, you know I had certain targets to hit. Why um, Dubai? Because it had so much potential. How did um, you know where you? So I had yeah. some friends that lived in Dubai. I'd visited Dubai. I'd visited the UAE um, twice before. Once was on a cricket tour. Hmm. Um, did you play? To play, yeah, oh, amazing. So, so my club, we came out here, and we were based in Sharjah, but we, you know, we had a few games dotted about. Yeah. Um, and then I came here two thousand and eight, I think it was, um, or two thousand and nine. So I was doing some research for my thesis, um, which was about luxury boats. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking at a um a, a partnership between a, a marina and a yacht brokerage company and how that could work. And I came out here um, and did some interviews with Aldar Marinas. Yeah. Um, so that was the second time I'd come. But it was obvious it had 
like so much potential and it seemed like this you know exciting place and it had a buzz about it mm. um and at the at the time james, tom james in london we were still working with clients who were based here and they would you know still use us in london because they couldn't find the equivalent in terms of quality uh, and service so it just seemed like a no-brainer mm. um and then you know no tax as well that was uh that mm. was uh, an incentive to, yeah. to to set it up here as well. So how did that transition happen to the other company? So then, so came out here in 2012, um, spent a few years at Tom James building that business up. Uh, and then it was 2017, which then led on to setting up Benjamin Seegers. So one of the things I, you know, came to know as I, as, as I became more knowledgeable about the actual, the manufacturing processes, um, it then also became evident that I was working for one of the most unsustainable, you know, companies as well. Mm. You know, trying to implement change at a company that had been going for, you know, decades and was so large, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult. Mm. That's what essentially then led on to starting Benjamin Siggers, but we're so using the same business model, but with sustainability being a core part of it mm. and looking at okay, how can we, you know, solve that problem and reduce our impact as much as possible. Yeah. So so this is the start of the sustainability uh, elements. I think it's important to know that, which I was quite intrigued by that, uh, and you'll get the statistic right, but the this, uh, you know, tailoring business or clothing mm. is the second most impact. Can you? Yeah, so fashion. Yeah. So not tailoring, yeah, essentially, but, but fashion as a whole is, it's been dubbed as the second most polluting industry in the world. Wow. Um, it's definitely one of the most polluting industries in the world. Um, you know, it ca- accounts for a, a massive amount of um, um, emissions. Mm. Um, so yeah, and actually, a, lot, a lot of that is to do with the manufacturing, but also the distribution and the transportation. Yeah, the distribution, and transportation, but at the materials level is yeah. where a lot of the impact is. Wow, you know, so um, using things like virgin synthetics, like your polyesters, nylons, things like that, mm. which are oil-based um, yeah, materials. Um, yeah, contributes contributes a lot. What's the most impact? What's the worst pollution? So, um, oil or travel? Or well, oh, oh, but, oh, oil, oil and gas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Oil and gas is, is only one ahead of fashion. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It kind of puts it into perspective. Yeah. It's, it's a really impactful industry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot of overconsumption, mm. overproduction. There's a lot of elements uh, that are there that need to be improved, really, mm. if we're going to fight the climate crisis so how did you do so you mentioned in in london with mm-hmm. the name of that company yeah i'm just gonna say it safe <laughs> from now on <laughs> uh so so basically you mentioned that you weren't doing the manufacturing of so you actually didn't see how it was done where was it done so um the first company was done in america mm. so we visited those manufacturing facilities yeah. and seen it being produced yeah um, but all of that was done there then the product would arrive then we would go and do fittings we then make the alterations um, in-house mm. um, and then, you know, deliver the final garment. Okay. And then when you were here with Benjamin Siggers, when you set that up, yeah. you, you were actually more hands-on with the manufacturer. So more in terms of the process of choosing manufacturers. Okay. So again, manufacturing is outsourced. So um, 90% of our garments are made in Italy. Uh, but it was a case of at that time, okay, going to meet manufacturers you know, seeing if their vision was aligned with us, how did we get on with them, like what was the actual product like? Um, and that was an amazing experience, like going to Italy and jumping in a Fiat Panda and um, <laughs> literally drive, just driving around Italy, meeting wow. suppliers and, yeah. you know, uh, 
yeah, I remember us saying at the time, we'll probably look back on those experiences. You know, we took a picture of that car, I remember, just a tiny little <laughs> Fiat Panda. Wow. Um, it's a cool story. But so Italy, like, we obviously know that Italy's an amazing fashion country. Yeah. And it's, uh, we can think of lots of kind of famous fashion designers from Italy mm-hmm. um, and Fashion Week and everything like that. But from a production point of view, is it that it's got good garments and good quality or good factories? Yeah, so um, particularly from, from a tailoring perspective, um, you know, they have a real, you know, specialization um, in that area. Mm. And, they're, and they, they're really known for soft tailoring. Mm. Um, so like our garments are really light and, you know, easy to wear. And, and that's the kind of Italian, you know, feel mm. um, as opposed to, you know, other forms of tailoring, which are a bit more sort of regimented and, and, and a bit you know harder and heavier materials and things like that but evidently not very sustainable in Italy um I mean in terms of sustainability that's that's the world over mm. um you know tailoring itself you know is it, is quite is more sustainable um, than other areas of fashion because mm. you know you you buy a suit and it's going to be in your wardrobe for 10 years 15 years 20 years even more you know, and, and where the unsustainable, you know, side of fashion sort of comes in is really a lot of it is a fast fashion side of things, you know, where you're just buying and disposing, buying and disposing. Um, so so tailoring naturally is more sustainable, but then, okay, we've still got to look at what materials are used and how yeah. it can be improved. Yeah. Okay, so much to talk about there, but I don't want to go too slow because there's more to this story. Uh, so after you were doing Benjamin Singers in Dubai, kind of what happened next and how did we get to Capes? So um, Capes, um, and so with, with suits, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a niche industry. You know, there's only a certain amount of guys that are, are going to spend, you know, upwards of 5,000 dirhams on, on a suit um, or upwards of 900 dirhams on, on a shirt. So... So you are catering to a, a small amount, you know, of guys. So although there was positive impact there, for me, you know, in terms of solving problems, I wanted to, to have a much bigger More impact. impact yeah. um, so with uniforms, that was something that was on my mind for a while, but it wasn't until the pandemic happened and really slowed everything down and gave me an opportunity to just stop for a minute and think about where it is that I wanted to go, you know, as an entrepreneur and what I really wanted to do and, you know, having that impact which then led on to uniforms because uniforms um you know they're, they're between the age of four or five and 16 to 18 you know they're what we wear as, as children mm. um you know and you wear it every day and you know they're currently made using unsustainable materials you know there's no connection as to where they're made and how they're made and all of this impact mm. um and so they're, they're just interesting but they're not fast fashion almost you know that you can, like you said about suits, you mm-hmm. can have the uniform for a few years and they can be passed down. So, so did that come into it? Um, so, I mean, a uniform can be passed down mm-hmm. and you could have it for a, a few years and pass it down. If you have a, a more case, you know, of course, yeah. If you have a um, a brother, or a brother, you know, sibling, that yeah. you could pass it down to. But generally speaking, you know, you grow so it, much yeah. as a kid <laughs> that they end up, you know, being disposed of. When disposed of, they end up going to landfill, mm. which is where eighty percent of all garments in the world end up. Mm. And then, because they're made wow. using synthetics like polyester, they then take two hundred plus years to decompose. Crazy. Um, so, so that was so that was 
something that can be impactful as much as... Yeah, 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 massively. Because, I mean, if, yeah, if you think of the amount of students that wear uniforms, mm. you know, just by changing the materials that they're made from, that's going to have a massive impact. Yeah. But then also looking at ways to make it more circular mm. so that those uniforms aren't just disposed of, they are passed on or a secondary market is created for them okay. so that other parents can buy secondhand uniforms. Yeah. You know, by extending their life um, by nine months, and that reduces the impact by 20 to 30 percent. Okay, interesting. And not all heroes wear capes, which yeah. is a tagline. That's yeah. obviously where the name came from. That's, yeah, so um, so in terms of, we look at it as, uni- we've coined it uniforms with superpowers. Um, so that's, you know, using materials that are sustainable and reducing the impact there. Um, carbon offsetting, you know, so once you've reduced the impact, then, you know, offsetting that impact. Um, and then the recycling part of it, so creating a secondary market, so it's, again, sustainability. And then lastly, and this was inspired by um, a report that I'd, I'd read about absenteeism, and it was in Kenya, and, it, and, and they'd shown that a free uniform would reduce absenteeism by up to 62%. So lastly, what we decided to do was that for every uniform, or every child that we sell a uniform to... Just explain that, so people who can't afford a uniform are less likely to go to class. Yeah, so this report was in, it was done in Kenya and it essentially showed that uniforms were one of the most expensive things in regards to schooling. Yeah. Um, outside of wow. outside of school fees. So um, once they abolished school fees, it was then uniforms. Wow. Um, and you would think of it, you'd, you know. More than transport, more than materials and books because. Yeah, I mean, like we think of it and we think our oh, uniform is quite, is quite cheap. But you know, with, with families that are earning literally next to nothing, mm. it's it's a massive it's a massive um, expense. Mm. So they would forego buying a uniform. So for a number of schools, if the kid didn't have a uniform, just wasn't allowed to come to school. Mm. And then also this the, the the stigma of not being able to afford a uniform mm. again meant that kids didn't go to school. Mm. Um, so what they did, they, they they gave out a number of uniforms, um, and then they tested what would happen, and and it showed that sixty two percent of kids that had no uniform before. Um, sorry, it reduced absenteeism by 62% mm. for kids that had no uniforms. Mm. So what we decided to do was that for every uniform that we sell a kid to, we would then give a free uniform to a child in need. Ah. Um, so hence, you know, by by wearing Cape's uniforms, you're you're a hero. You know, mm. so that's where that whole heroes and, and capes. Okay. okay, so amazing. So end of 2019, you're yeah. still working Benjamin Siggers, you have this idea, you have the name, how do you go to launching it? Uh, but also, can you just talk about where they are manufactured and how you can produce sustainable uniforms? Sure. So um, in terms of where they're manufactured, so the majority is manufactured in India, um, so a few different places in India, and then also um, Nepal as well. Um, and then with the materials and how we maybe make it, went around to find them in the Tok Tok now they Unfortunately, because um, because of uh, of COVID, like did, you know, they had those travel restrictions. Yeah. So what we did in this case, we partnered with a um, a sourcing agency. Okay. Um, that specialise in in sustainability. Great. Uh, so they work with a network of um, ethically certified factories. These are factories that you know have certifications with. Um, the global org- organic textile standard um, with um, SEDEX, with OECOTEX, with Fair Trade, mm. um, and, and other certification bodies. Amazing. Um, and then through that network, we then chose ones that you know could produce the, the products that we needed. Mm. 
Um, and then in terms of the actual materials and how we make that sustainable was really looking at, okay, these are the materials that are used at the moment. Um, what are the sustainable alternatives for them and how do we, you know, bring that into, mm. into the, into the mix. Mm. Amazing. So, uh, Matthew, I, uh, this amazing idea, mm -hmm. right? If you come to me as an investment, I'd be like, wow, the sustainable fashion education. Yeah. It's just, it's just impactful. So it was easy to get investors then. <laughs> um, uh, it, I mean, so was it easy? It's, I mean, it's not, it's not easy, no. right? To, to, especially people in, weren't showing money at you yeah, at the start of COVID. Yeah, exactly. Especially <laughs> during during like right in the middle of COVID, and there's just all this uncertainty. Yeah. Um. But but um. That initial yeah, the initial raise went you know yeah pretty well. It was a seed round. Um. It was a pre-seed round. So, um, so friends and family, angel, or specifically pre-seed. So friends, family, and 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 one angel, yeah, um, or two angels. Um, so you know, one um, came on as co-founders. Um, that was because they had you know some real experience within the international schools market, hmm. um, and also bring an e-learning ed tech piece to the to to the puzzle. Hmm. Um, and part of the business. Um, you know, so we're creating an, an e-learning platform so that students of schools can, or parents or teachers can log on and learn about the product's journey and learn about the impacts of fashion. Specifically related to the company, yeah. Okay. So yeah, sort of related to, to uniforms. uniforms yeah. um, so that they bring that side of it. Um, and then, yeah, friends and, friends and family. Um, uh, one, one was a client, you know, through, through, the, through the yeah previous business um, who, you know, who really liked the idea. Um, so typically, can you say how much you raise? Uh, yeah. So the the initial amount, and this was just to sort of get us started. Or should I should I say that? Okay. No. Okay. I won't say how much how much we raised for this amount. Probably in the next round. We'll, what are we'll, you looking to raise in the seed round? So in the, in the next round, we'll, we'll we'll look to raise. Depends on how we do it, and whether we do it through a crowd fund or whether we do it through um, through, mm. through you know angel investors. I would say about a quarter, quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, just it's a good idea to get perspective because usually people have references with tech stocks and things like that. Yeah, and, but it's good for the for the fashion industry for people to know. So yeah, I mean, if you were starting, you know, with our business, How it's much is needed. yeah, yeah if, if, with our business, like for example, with Benjamin Sears, it was a very small amount. Mm. Um, you know, we put our own money into it. You know, we, we sort of we had clients there that we could go go out to. Um, you know, we we weren't holding any stock. Um, it wasn't it wasn't an online business it was offline so there wasn't yeah, that much that had to go into yeah. that you know it was really about setting the business up getting the branding done you know getting the website set up with the new business um, there's a lot more that goes into the manufacturing um, in terms of the you know actually having to manufacture products mm. before they're sold so you've got to put money into that and then you've got the e-commerce e platform that we're building um, you know which is, is a real improvement in terms of what's out there at the moment so a lot of cash will go into that as well yeah definitely um how are you going about that you mentioned as well before that you did the license here in jlt in the yeah. mcc uh you're set up with nook you have a small team are you are you you're obviously not manufacturing the uniforms here they're with the suppliers but are you doing the tech build in dubai so um the tech no the tech build will be done in london yeah so the guys actually made our website the current website they were also based in the uk as well yeah um 
So you're still involved in Benjamin Siggers? Yeah, yeah. Benjamin Siggers is, 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 is still going, it's still running. It's slow at the moment because because of COVID. Yeah. You know, so a lot of guys... Not people aren't wearing suits. Not, yeah, a lot of guys aren't wearing suits and, and a lot of guys just aren't in their, in their offices. Mm. So until that really switches around, you know, it's going to be, you know, a, you know, a slow burn. Mm. But what we started doing there is 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 you know, custom casual wear. So polos and, nice. and more chinos and, and denim. Um, custom knitwear uh, because that 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 problem was still exists in terms of guys don't generally like to go and shop um, and guys don't generally have the time you know to go and shop that problem will still exist um, so it's just looking at products that still can cater that cater to to, to that problem okay so you launched you raised the money uh, you got the suppliers you got the website mm-hmm. you have the products uh, and you launched in September. Yeah. Did you do that with a sort of uh, one school kid, or was it with a partnership with schools? And how are uniforms bought? So, um, so how we work is so from September or mid September, we started to approach schools. Um, so, so a school would generally have a contract with a supplier. Hmm. That contract could be anywhere from a three-year term to to a five-year term, and then with that, parents have to. It's an exclusive arrangement, so parents have to buy uniforms. From that supplier good good business if you can get the contract exactly yeah. so um for us at that stage it was okay now we've got we've got the samples um you know we've got the the, the the business so to speak and it was now that time we started to approach schools and introduce them to this you mm. know and show them that you know, this is a way of reducing your environmental impact you know it's better for everyone involved it's better for the manufacturers you know the garment workers who are paid fairly you know for the environment for the kids that are actually wearing it um, and parents always want the you know the best for their kids as well. So it's been a case of approaching schools, um, and you know you don't know which schools, you know how long their contracts are, and which schools have them, and which schools don't. So it's a bit of okay. There's know. no website that just tells you yeah, exactly <laughs> all, the, yeah. all the contract details. I wish there was. So <laughs> so it's, you know it's okay just approaching schools, going from one to the other, and you know speaking to other people who have connections is and joining the dots. Um, it is. In terms of sustainability, no, because we're the only business, you know, offering this level of sustainability um, and transparency. Mm. Um, but the providers of uniforms have been there for a while. They've been they've there kind for, of yeah. bought off other people, etc. Yeah, they? yeah. So they've been there for a while. Are they specific uniform companies or are they retail uh, manufacturing companies that we know on the high street that have a uniform arm? So um, in the UAE, it's specific uniform com- um, companies. Mm. Um, so whereas in, say, the UK... You, although I remember like we had, you know, uniform supply and you would go there for certain items like a, a blazer, you know, or stuff like that. Um, but if you wanted shirts, you could go to Tesco's or you could go to, um, to, to the high street. Yeah. You know, over and here. Pants, you can get them anywhere. Pants, you can get any, yeah, you can get them anywhere. Whereas here, they're usually... Um, the whole piece together. Yeah, they're usually branded and unique. So you have to buy it from that supplier. You can't just go to a, to a high street store. That even makes it a better contract if you can. Yeah, yeah. If you get it, it's an, it's an amazing contract. Yeah. Um. So so competitive in the sense that you've got suppliers that have had relationships for a long time, um, and you've got this barrier where you've got you know contracts which have a long term. Hmm. But um, in 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 a sense of you know what we offer, you know when we speak to schools, you know they're they're amazed by it, and it's and it's is it cheaper? What how does it work? What are the other benefits other than the sustainable element? So um, it, it's competitively priced. Yeah, it's not cheaper, but in some cases it's not more expensive. Okay. Um. So you know, different schools have different pricing currently, depending on the suppliers that they use. 
Um, but what we found is that we can provide a, you know, with, with some schools the, the exact same price. And that's not because, I mean, that's, that's mainly because the current uniforms are actually overpriced, despite the fact that they're made from mm. unsustainable materials. Well, maybe they're not having to bid or keep their prices down because these contracts aren't, you know, this, yeah. Exactly. So as competitive in terms of, yeah, they, exactly. they, they own it really. Yeah. And, and to that end, would schools not, uh, so two things on schools. One mm. is, would they not be more pressurized to kind of offering more options, a sustainable uniform plus a uh, traditional uniform, if that's the right word. And then secondly, uh, you know, schools have been under pressure price-wise for parents, especially during these times, etc. Um, is this an area where they feel that they could uh, provide value? Um, so in terms of in terms of the value piece, um, no, I don't necessarily think that it's a case of, okay, how can we make uniforms cheaper? cheaper? Yeah. Um, you know, by that, that essentially would... How much is a school uniform? So on average, parents would spend anywhere between, you know, we did a survey and it was 1,100 dirhams per year. Um, but, you know, you read, you know, certain articles and some it could be 1,500 dirhams, some 1,300 dirhams. Yeah. So they're certainly not cheap. Um, and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want to reduce as a school, reduce the quality to make it cheaper. Mm. Um, you know, parents, you know, that we speak to, are more than happy to spend money on their kids. They want the best for their kids. Mm. And they just want to know that what they're spending on is, you know, is, is good quality. Um, so we're not under any pressure to to reduce the costs, but what we're able to do is compete with it but produce a higher quality product that is that is sustainable. Mm. Um, sorry, the first question you asked. Yeah, just in terms of would the schools be able to give the parents an option? Here's uh, capes mm. and here's the one you were already getting so um because those contracts are exclusive in any innocence that we found it would be a no you know it um yeah we I, I, yeah i wish wish that was wish that you know, they had that choice because Is i'm it, sure it, so the school in sustainable city who provides the uniforms there the school in sustainable city um I'm assuming there's a school right? yeah yeah <laughs> so um so yeah it's a school that we're we we i'm a, a very you know, we're, we're, we're speaking to. Yeah. Um, so their uniforms are supplied. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm able to say who they're supplied by. But there's a but competitor. Yeah, it's a competitor okay. who, who supplies their uniforms currently. Mm. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're looking Good. Okay. to... Good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're looking to challenge them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. So just another topic as well. So uh, there's been a lot of... Uh, I think we will mention this company. There's been a lot of... Uh, media coverage for a listed retail company uh, in fast fashion mm -hmm. in the UK, Boohoo, is that yeah. the right pronunciation? Yeah. And they've got a few uh, well-known high street brands, which you don't need to mention, but there's been a lot of um, criticism of the factories in the Leicester area around pricing and stuff like that. What's your kind of take on that? Yeah, so um, that's, uh, someone described it as just the smoking gun within the industry. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's been going on in the UK and I think that's, it's, it's, it's got a lot of news coverage and people know about it because it's more, it's closer to home. Mm. You know, you think, oh, that, I didn't realize, I didn't know that could happen in the UK, but it, it happens. Yeah. Um, but that. As in typically people would think that stuff is made in China or Taiwan, etc. So people would think that if it's made in, in one of those countries, um, or, or an, another developing country that, that their workers will be exploited. Um, and then it wouldn't happen in the UK. Hmm. But, you know, as it's shown with Boohoo in, in Leicester, 
they were exploiting workers now being paid um, you know, lower than the minimum wage, which you know breaks the modern day slavery act. Um, but this kind of thing is is it's been happening and is still happening right now in in a lot of countries. Um, you know, China being one. You know, that's another thing that came up in terms of um, the the Uyghur population there in the Xinjiang region. Mm. Um, there, where, where they they've been you know, forced labour. Um, so you know, the cotton industry is really impacted by that. So it's it yeah it isn't something that that surprised me you know having you know known about this kind of thing that, and how it goes on in the industry. Is this an ethical issue or a sustainable issue? Um, it's it's both. Um, I would say it's more ethical, but the the two the two go hand in hand really. Mm. I mean, yes, you could provi- provide a sustainable garment, but then you might make it un- you know unethically. True, and and you know, that doesn't that doesn't marry. Yeah. So um, so it's a bit of both, but it is more of an ethical thing. So when we look at you know the impacts of fashion, we're looking at it from you know the true cost mm. of a garment is not just the environmental impact; it's a social impact. You know, how are people being treated? Treated? How are they being paid? Um, and as a as a brand, it's you know our responsibility to to ensure that you know, that kind of thing isn't happening. Mm. But as a consumer. And the consumers have to vote with their wallet mm. and they have to support brands that are doing it the right way, you know, and not support brands that, you know, have we've seen with, with Boohoo, you yeah. know, it's, it's interesting because fashion is obviously going through a shift in terms of high street retail and direct to consumer. And you would have thought that that would have been an opportunity to get rid of some of these legacy issues that maybe the Zara's of the world have kind of, they're too big to change all this. Yeah. Whereas with, if you're setting up a direct consumer, then you can actually not be, you know, stuck to those problems. Um, do you think that that's a kind of a missed opportunity? So um, I think it's an opportunity that you know a number of brands are taking. Hmm. Um, and I think if you if you don't go down that route, then it certainly is a missed opportunity. And but it works both ways. It might need regulation at the factory side and in the countryside as well. So yeah, I think like for example, I mean. There's, there's, there's things that could make it more mainstream, mainstream, such as regulation, you know, such as government saying, well, you know, there's a certain tax if you, you know, if you produce in a certain way. Mm. You know, I think as a an entrepreneur, you know, getting into a business, a fashion, starting a fashion business, you know, it depends what are you, what are you, you know, what are you starting it for? You know, what is the impact that you really want to have? Um, and I think that with any business now it has to also include that that sustainable you know side of things okay um, yeah but this is a perennial issue from a manufacturing point of view for the fashion industry it, you know interestingly a lot of people have read the nike memoir the shoe dog book and the criticism that they faced mm-hmm. and there was you know before the era we're in now there was naomi klein's no logo and it talked about factories and, and things like that um you would be led to believe that this has improved a lot. I know Nike have had some issues lately in, in certain countries, but uh, how bad, Matthew, is the current situation in fashion? So has it, I mean, it, it, it has improved, um, but there's still a long way to go. There's still a, a, yeah, a, a long, long way to go. So um, you know, I don't know if you'd heard of the, the Rana Plaza disaster, which was a factory collapse that happened in Rana Plaza, which was 2008, I believe. Where is that? Uh, in Bangladesh. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, essentially the, the problem was that 
you've got fast fashion brands, you know, that want to charge less and less and less. They put pressure on the manufacturers who then put pressure on the garment workers you know, and pay them less and, and don't fix factories and don't do a number of things and, you know, cut corners. Um, and essentially the building collapsed um, and there was a fire in the building, the building collapsed. Um, the people working in there weren't allowed to leave. They were told to continue working and, and then it collapsed and you know, thousand, over a thousand people died. Um, that then led to certain regulations, if you like, being put in place and mm. certain brands signing up to accord so that this kind of thing didn't, wouldn't happen again. It always needs something like that to trigger it. But then, sh- but then but, yeah, but then, you know, not all brands sign up, mm. you know, or not all brands stay honest to it. Um, so there's just, there is, you know, so much more room for improvement. Mm. Um, and that kind of comes back to the, 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 the smaller brands, if you like, now coming into the industry or going direct to consumer to, you know, if you're going to start a new brand, to do it in the right way. And for as I say, consumers to support all of these brands that are doing it the right way. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a minefield. It is, there's a, it's so opaque that it, as a consumer, it can be, you know, very hard. Where do you start? How do, how do I know? Mm. But now there's a, the technology, you know, is coming out. There's technology that exists to, to map out that, that supply chain so you can you know, sort of know the, the, the journey of your product. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to become more prevalent, you know, as, as time goes on. And then that hopefully will have a knock-on impact and improve things even further. Great. Interesting. Is child labour still an issue in clothing? Yeah. Yeah. Child labour is an issue um, in, yeah, in, in, in not just in manufacturing, but in, you know, um, the, at the material level as well. Mm. Forced labour. Mm. Um, so as I touched on earlier in terms of the, the forced labor that was taking place in China, you know, it showed that a, that a quarter of all cotton garments in the world were tainted by forced labor. Mm. Um, 88, I think it's 88 or 80 percent of, of cotton from China comes from that region. Forced labor, explain. So, um, so in this particular region of, of China, um, the, the Uyghur population, they, they have these these um um labor camps um and reports have shown that you know through these labor camps they're forced to you know work in factories and Mm. manufacture products and you know work in cotton farms and things Mm. like that Mm. so against their will maybe okay and but are they paid are they paid below you know um i'm not sure what they're paid if they're paid at all Mm. Um, but it's something to look into. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's resulted in a number of large brands saying they're not going to get cotton from that region. Yeah. You know, um, Ike, Ikea, I think were the latest one. Yeah. Um, Adidas, um, Tommy Hilfiger, mm. you know, loads of other brands as well. Good. Um, so, you know, it's good that you know, there is that response to it. Yeah. But then when you go back, like, should that problem have it have existed in the first place okay um yeah but it is good that you know some of these macro trends are coming together people are more environmentally aware people are also looking at sustainable uh production in in many things uh but they're looking at and it's interesting that you said you're going to have an e-learning aspect to show the full journey so to kind of um educate people yeah um yeah, people are becoming more sustainably minded, more environmentally aware. Mm. But I think there's a gap between, you know, if you ask 10 people, you know, is sustainability important? You know, probably nine would say yes. But then when you look at their actions, you know, there, there's a disconnect. 
and that's where there needs to be more education you know for example if you know on, on the school side of things you know schools are there to 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 educate and, and empower future generations hmm. sustainability should be like a, a number one concern for them because ultimately we're educating this younger generation who are going to inherit the, the planet hmm. so it should be a key thing um but when we then look at say uniforms which is one of the most impactful things at, at a school sometimes i'll speak to a, a principal and there's just no concern for it hmm. which is a bit i don't know it's it's strange it's like well you know I, I don't get why sustainability is important right so where's a sustainable action yeah and and i think that's from you know from us as individuals um but relating back to schools it's okay well let's try and educate and understand what is the actual impact of it yeah um it's an interesting point i think some people would be naturally inclined other people it's like the crowds and persuasion isn't it you know 1990 or, or whatever like not everyone's going to act they might uh they might be sympathetic towards the concern or towards the issue but it's the same you know there was someone on this podcast talking about energy mm-hmm. and talked about the things you could do from a building and choosing the building with green energy and things okay. like that so similar to that, but what, you know, do you think that going back to the teacher and the procurement in the school, like what could, what could be done from an incentive point of view? Uh, you know, how we talk, we know that some companies are going to go more, uh, you know, zero carbons and things like that. Like mm-hmm. how, how can that uh, be related to help uh, from a procurement point of view? Um, incentive wise, I mean, it, it, you know, I I kind of look at it and I'm like, what, what, yeah. what what um <laughs> what more incentive do you, do you need, right? Like, it's good for the environment. It's better for the kids. Better for the garment workers. It's you know, it's better all round. Um, it's the right thing to do. You know, what more incentive you know sh- should there be? But um, these but, people are educational people. They mm-hmm. they choose their line of career to enhance the mind. Yeah. and you know, and to education that's their fundamental yes they will sleep well at night if they know that the kids are being educated well yeah yeah so i think that um making it easy making it as easy as possible as you said that they, they are educators they're 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 um their focus their skills are on educating they're not retailers so if we can make the process as easy as possible for them so they don't have to do any of the work you know, then that hopefully um, smooths the process, makes it easier, makes that decision even easier. Mm. But I think one thing in terms of that education piece, um, not just in terms of educating, say, students, but generally, you know, the wider population being more educated on areas around sustainability, and this leads into something that we're doing, is how do you make it easily digestible for people? Because sustainability has become such a buzzword Hmm. a lot of companies have jumped on the bandwagon that now if you ask 10 different people what sustainability means you'll get 10 slightly different answers um so for us what was important was rather than just saying okay we're more sustainable and, and this is why we're sustainable so how can we actually communicate that so we partnered with a company called green story what they did was a deep dive into our supply chain um looked at you know where's the cotton cultivated how is it transported to be ginned and how is it and all of the processes and steps that go into it you know from all of the materials that we use and the manufacturers that we use um, and then with that they're able to then calculate the actual impact 
and say, well, this is how much water is used, this is how much energy is used, and this is how much um, emissions are used. Mm. And then with that, we can then plug in products that uh, schools currently have mm. and the materials that are currently used, and then plug that into our supply chain and show that this is the actual impact. Mm. And show that, okay, if you swap this polo for this polo, you'll save 2.35 kilometers of driving emissions. Mm. You'll save 11 liters of water, um, drinking water, and you'll, you'll save 282 light bulbs powered for an hour. Mm. So that's an actual example we gave to a school a few weeks ago mm. where we were swapping one of their uh, polyester um, polos to a, a recycled polyester polo. Mm. So those kind of numbers, you can actually then, you know, start to, you know, that, that means something. So, wow, okay, you know, 11 litres of water. I didn't realise that. One, mm. That's one polo shirt. There's 500 students and they all have five polo shirts and then the numbers start to add up. Mm. And I think that that piece is important, you know, making it digestible. Are, you mentioned recycled, but that's not the core product that you're selling. Is it? Is it recycled? So, um, as, so as in, are the uniforms made from recycled yeah, items? So, um, so with some of the items, we use recycled polyester. Mm. Uh, so 100% recycled polyester. The majority of our, of our products are organic cotton. Hmm. Um, our swimwear is regenerated nylon. So that regenerated nylon used to be old fishing nets. And then it's repurposed. Wow. And we, we make swimwear out of it. See, this is interesting. I can see why you would do an online information portal on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, there's so much to it. So, so, for example, with the recycled content. So we use... Recycle polyester for some items, hmm. but um, you know PE kits, for example, because you know they have you know for moisture wicking, um, for bags, yeah. you know, um, for, for yeah for rucksacks and holders. But yeah. one of the issues with recycled polyester, and why we don't use it for the majority of the, the products that we sell, um, and why we use organic cotton, is because recycled polyester um, comes with the issue of microplastic pollution. So when it's being washed microplastics are, 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 are cleaved and then those end up in our waters which then end up in in uh, fish which then humans eat so now there's this you know one of the things that we're now finding out about within the industry is this issue around microplastics yeah um, and uh, some well-known brands like Adidas and Nike produce shoes now that are from fully recycled plastic yeah is that similar so it's similar yes um you know as I said I think with recycled plastic it's in some ways, it's become a bit of a, um, PR, a PR stunt, <laughs> yeah, a gimmick, um, and it's something people can relate to because they're like, "Well, I'm going to collect these amount of bottles, hmm. and then these bottles are going to be made into a product." Hmm. And as I say, for some products, I think it is good, hmm. um, but it, it it does come with the concern of microplastic pollution, which is something else we want to want to to um, you know to to avert. And for example, you know, with a, a polo top or, or whatever the item is, you know, if we're going to divert bottles to make them into a product, but then that product is going to be thrown away, you know, really soon because there's no circular, you know, piece that exists, mm. then it's just going to end up in landfill anyway. Mm. And it's just still going to take 200 plus years to decompose. Mm. So, yeah, it's looking at the, 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 the wider aspect. Mm. rather than just uh, sort of individual gimmicks. Interesting. So uh, just a few observations. I might end up with a question. <laughs> Hopefully I can. Yeah. But, you know, if I was uh, as passionate as you are about the sustainable industry, obviously you're an entrepreneur, but I assume that there's people in retail who maybe work for uniform companies who can 
turn this around. So they might be legacy producers, but they would find a sustainable producer and then they would end up being ethically sustainable produced uniforms. And then, you know, the other kind of analysis of, of capes is, you know, is this a vertical business? Is it just uniform? But you've kind of answered that by talking about swimwear and bags and gym. Like there's just so many products that you can produce uh, for, for kids. Is that the kind of roadmap that, that capes has? Um, so there's a lot of schools in the world um, and we want to work with as many as possible. Mm. So that first piece is, you know, how do we get into as many schools as possible? Is there one shop that sells uniforms or in Dubai? Um, there are, yeah, they, they, yeah, the, the you know, this, the the uh, competitors we mentioned will, you know, sell. They have their own stores as well. Yeah, they'll have okay. their stores and, and sell them. So that's generally where people will go to buy uniforms. The online piece of it at the moment has, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement, which is what we're bringing to the table, because ultimately, also from a sustainable point of view, um, is that you, you, sh- I mean, kids. As kids, I never looked forward to going uniform shopping. And as parents, you certainly don't enjoy taking your kids to go uniform shopping. If you could do it online and you knew the sizing was right and it was you know, delivered to you next day or the day after, then that's what you would do. That's what we're trying to bring to the table rather mm. than you know having these journeys of going back and forth to the shops mm. because you have to try things on. Um, you know, from a sustainable point of view, you want to reduce the amount of, of trips that, that, that it takes. Yeah, interesting. Um, so that's what comes into it as well. Yeah. So we're looking at, you know, every every angle of it. Um, but going back to what you were saying in terms of expansion, that real focus is how many schools can we get into? How many kids can we impact and empower? Mm. You know, how many free uniforms can we give away? Um, but then when we look at other products, okay, there's you know, airlines, hotels, you know, other companies that, that need uniforms mm. um, and that could benefit from them being sustainable. Oh, wow. Um, so we're certainly open to it, but I really, yeah, it's a big idea yeah <laughs> it's yeah. a big it's a big potential for a company loads of potential yeah um but yeah really focus at the moment on you know let's keep the main thing the main thing okay you know get into schools and you know empower, it, empower kids interesting so much you repeating your name a lot now because i got it right <laughs> so eight years later are you as bullish about dubai as you were like when you saw it first and what's your view on the region in terms of emerging market um am i as bullish um Eight and a half years later, I still think Dubai has loads of potential. Yeah. Um, not, not as, yeah, not as, <laughs> not as bullish as when I first got here. Um, <laughs> a little wiser. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. Um, particularly after after the last, what, year or, or, or nine months that we've had with, with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as we can see from, like, you know, the restaurants and stuff like that, and, and it seems to be bouncing bouncing back to, to an extent. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think we, when we look around, there's still all of these buildings, buildings going up, um, and you know, if 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 it can attract, you know, continue to attract people, then there's still a lot of potential. But regionally, when I where I look at it now is that like Saudi Arabia, mm. and that's a place for me that like we've you know started doing a bit of business there with, with Benjamin Siggers. Mm. Saudi Arabia, you know, I saw actually this morning on LinkedIn um, a client. Um, who, who works for a government entity there, um, and, and it's always about all about um, um, investment for for an investment. Um, education is is the number one, um, yeah, the number one industry that that money's being that's money's going into. Mm. So 
um, yeah, Saudi Arabia. Like that mega, mega cities like Neom is perfect for this type of partnership. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's. I mean, that's where when I look at the pretend, that's the that's the market. Mm. You know, that I think is like when Dubai probably was eight and a half years ago, or maybe yeah. even before, probably even years before that. Yeah. So it's, I'm excited to see what's going to happen there. So you would, you know, at what point would you enter Saudi? Do you what? Would you like to have a base here first? Does it depend on investment or or because you're digital, it doesn't really matter? Yeah. So we can. I mean, at the moment, we're speaking to schools in Hong Kong. Thailand, Beijing, Shanghai, um, okay. Singapore, so UK. Um, so we can work with schools anywhere. So mm. with with Saudi, I mean, as soon as it sort of opens up again, then yeah, we'll be over there and, and meeting with schools and yeah, you know, after what what's happened, you know, as a result of, of COVID and and the pandemic is you know now these meetings you you have them on on Zoom yeah. Um, so, you know, we're able to speak to all of these schools and then that next step would be, you know, going and meeting in person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, soon, soon as it opens up, we'll, we'll be, we'll be in Saudi. Yeah. And have, have a schools, are they changing how they think about uniforms at all with this work from home or is there still the same demand or homeschooling? Of course, they're all nearly back. Yeah. So, um, I think this, you know, this year, the there's less, lower, there's, yeah. yeah, demand's lower just because, you know, kids are, aren't at school as much. Um, you know, some are working from home um, and also just uncertainty, particularly at the start as to is there going to be school? Hmm. Um, so definitely demand for this year, you know, would have been down. Um, but in terms of the medium and long term side of things, I don't see, you know, that changing so much. Hmm. You know, I think fundamentally like education and schools will always be here. You know, while some students, parents may shift to teaching online, you know, I think school has so much more to offer than just what you're learning as a subject hmm. you know it's about interacting with other students and you know learning about yourself and all these things and that's why for me schools will always be there and as long as schools are there uniforms are there hmm. and kids will always grow hmm. um so it's one of those things that you know i think will be here for a, a long time before i'm gone <laughs> <laughs> or long after after, yeah. after, yeah, after i'm gone <laughs> Good note to finish on. Thanks very much, much Matthew. Pleasure. <laughs> I'm looking forward, you know, well done. Great idea. Great execution. Thank you. And if only capes was a logo that they could wear on their uniform, we'd probably be seeing a lot more of it in the future. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Great. Yes, thanks, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. And um, yeah, if you're a school, get in touch. Yeah. Um, if you're a parent. If you're a parent. Go on the website. Yeah. Capes.co. Um, so yeah, we really love to hear from. from and the guys. the handle is not all. The... So the handle on Instagram is Heroes Wear Capes. Perfect. Um, and then yeah, website is Capes.co. Perfect. Thanks very much. Great. Cheers. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening, and please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.